7.02 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program now underway. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, tonight, uh, This weekend, sorry, it is the Seahawks and it is the Giants. I'm going to mention this again. Jason pointed it out as a trivia question in the intro. This is the only game this weekend featuring not one, but two, two teams with a winning record. Big game. Big game for NFC standings. Big game for the division for both. Playoff implications, the whole bit. And it involves the Seahawks and the Giants. How about that? What a world. Joining us now to break it all down, our good buddy from ESPN's NFL Nation, Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Brady. How are you? Morning, fellas. Doing great. How about yourselves? Yeah, we're good. You know, we, we said earlier in the show, I said it in particular, that if you had told me at the beginning of the year that on October 28th, we'd be talking about this Seahawks-Giants game having massive playoff implications and being one of the marquee games of the week, I would have said you were crazy, but nothing's made sense about this season anyway, so it may as well make sense that the Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West and the Giants are 6-1 and one and looking like a playoff team in the NFC. Yeah, it, it definitely would not have made sense. And not just that the two teams have the records that they do, but that this game, as you said, could end up having some real bearing on what happens in a couple months in, in the NFC playoff picture. I know it's a little early in the season to be talking about that, but at the same time, when it's an NFC game and you've got two teams at or near the top of their division, then yeah, this, this could have some real impact down the stretch. And so um, it's really just kind of the way the NFL has gone. I mean, it's just been sort of the season of surprise teams, both good and bad, whether it's the Seahawks giants, uh, the Buccaneers are really struggling. Um, You know, the, the Super Bowl rating, Super Bowl champs are scuffling. Meanwhile, you've got other surprise teams, uh, the Jets are halfway decent, it looks like, for the first time and and however long it's been. And so it's really just kind of been the story of the NFL this season, I think. Is it safe to say that this game might come down to how well the Seahawks defense is able to handle Saquon Barkley? I really think so, yeah. I think I think that's the game for them. And, and you know, with all due respect to Daniel Jones, he's not a guy that is going to beat them, at least with his arm. He, he certainly could beat them with his legs. He's... Um, you know, one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, and they've struggled against guys like that, whether, you know, even as well as their defense played a couple weeks ago against Arizona. Kyler Murray ran for 100 yards. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota made some plays against them with his legs, and uh, there's one other quarterback that it happened against that uh, I can't picture right now. But um, Taysom yeah, Hill, that, did you count him? Yeah, of course. How could I forget that? Yeah, Taysom Hill <laughs> ran for well over 100 yards and three touchdowns. So, um yeah, so that is a challenge for them. But, you know, this is a Giants offense that is really Daniel Jones' legs and Saquon Barkley. And, you know, they really don't have a ton of weaponry outside of that. There's One of their starting receivers is a guy named Marcus Johnson who was with the Seahawks for like an offseason a few years ago. Uh, and he's sort of been this journeyman wide receiver, and, and he's starting for them, which just kind of shows you um, what kind of – you know, talent Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley have around them. So I think this is a game I, I can understand why the Seahawks are favored. I know there's some people in New York who are up in arms about that, but um, 
you know, this is a Giants team that I think is overachieved, probably more so than the Seahawks, given each team's respective uh, level of talent. The Seahawks must be feeling a lot better about their defense now, though. I mean, it, it, it's not like anyone's labeling the be- the best defense in the league, but considering how the first few weeks went, um, the fact that they're getting turnovers now, um, they must be a lot happier. Oh, no doubt, yeah. And, you know, two weeks ago, when I had that game against New Orleans, you know, I, I think I said it, there were no real signs that it was about to let up, that they were about to turn the corner, and boom, they did. Had that great game versus Arizona, you would have said, okay, you kind of need to see it at least one more time to know that it's really the start of another turnaround. And then you saw it. Uh, I mean, that was, I don't know if it was quite as good as the Arizona game, but it was very good. And maybe it was when you consider that, um, you know, the, the level of talent that the Chargers have on offense and all the playmakers there. And, um, you know, I think it was 23 points, but that was, there was a safety involved in there. And I think the Chargers had a short field because of a turnover on from Seattle's offense. And so, it was a really and a, they got a garbage time touchdown too. So that was just a, another really good defensive effort. I think you're seeing them uh, do what they've done each of the last two years, each of the last three years now, which is awful to start out with, and then they really level off and start to play like they're capable of, and um, they're really doing it in every way that you could you know look at. Pass rush came alive in that game. They're tackling better. Uh, they're, they're getting the ball out. They're stopping the run. I, I know that um, you know, the Chargers didn't really run the ball a whole lot in the second half because they were uh, trying to make up for a big deficit, and that's really going to be the key again to this game is uh, you've got a team that's really going to come out running, and they're probably not going to stop running. Uh, on the subject of what teams want to do on offense, the Seahawks, who is Geno Smith going to be throwing the ball to at the wide receiver position this week because uh, Metcalf and Lockett both have injury issues? Yeah, and it, I, I I think that Lockett's going to play. He, okay. he played through the injury last week against the Chargers, and uh, it was a good sign that he's practiced both days this week, limited Wednesday, full participation on Thursday. So he looks like he's going to play, may, again, be a little bit limited uh, in the game and may have to cut his snaps down, but I think he's going to play. Metcalf, I don't think so. That That's really just sort of a guess at this point uh, because Pete Carroll has not ruled him out. Um, but he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. I doubt he's going to practice today. So I, I, I'm not saying he's not going to play definitively. I just I think that this just that's just a gut feel that if there's an injury there, you don't want to make it worse. Give him at least a week off. Um, so and I think you know it's going to call for Marquise Goodwin to step up again. They're going to need a little bit more from D. Estridge, who has kind of slowly, quietly started to come on a little bit. I know he had that bad fumble against the Chargers, but you've seen him play more. They're clearly getting more comfortable with him, and so um, you're going to need to see him, I think, take a little bit of a step here because, again, I, this seems, it seems more likely than not that DK is going to miss this game. I mean, the one thing the Seahawks could always do if they've got in issues in the passing game is just give the ball to Kenneth Walker the third because it seems to be a pretty good strategy right now. I know everyone's talking about this, ga- this being a game about the Giants running the ball and Saquon Barkley, but the numbers on Walker – are terrific, right? It's like 6.1 yards per carry, 
400 yards and like he really only played half a season because Penny was getting so many carries early. He seems like he does everything well. Like he's got the long run, the big play ability. He's got that 74 yard touchdown. He can also uh, make guys miss in small spaces and make positive yardage. It just seems like there's so much upside with the guy and real excitement about using him that I got a feeling barring injury. We're just going to see a ton of Kenneth Walker, the third this weekend and then moving forward. Yeah. And when you started, uh, uh, saying that, I thought you were going to say what they should do is pitch the ball to D. Eskridge in the backfield more. And I was no. going to say, no, I don't. Don't, I don't, don't do that. Whatever the opposite of that is, no, is no, what no, they no, should no. do. I don't get that at all. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that they should, yeah, they should definitely give it to Ken Walker a lot. Uh, he is, he just looks like a complete back. Like, um, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of catching the ball out of the backfield uh, like this season, but I remember seeing that in training camp before he went down with the hernia. Um, you see him run with speed, like on the two long touchdown runs that he's had, where, by the way, that touchdown run he had Sunday against the Chargers, he was clocked at 22.09 mm-hmm. miles an hour. I believe that's the fastest time of any NFL ball carrier this season. And he also had the 20th fastest time on his touchdown run, the long one against the Saints two weeks ago. So you, there's the speed is obvious. The power is obvious, too. I mean, look at the first touchdown run he had where he – you know, fights through a tackle. He he crosses the goal line with a defender clinging to his legs, and you just see him in the backfield make small gains out of what look like they're going to be, you know, two or three yard losses where he just breaks a tackle or he jump cuts a guy to to make him miss entirely. Um, it just looks like the total package, and uh, you know, I, I know that uh, I don't know if they necessarily thought he was going to play this much this early because they had Rashad Penny, but they also knew that, you know, Penny had a long injury history and they couldn't count on him. And so, you know, for all the people who thought that number 41 overall was too early to take a running back because running backs supposedly don't matter. Uh, I just don't know how you could watch the last two and a half games and, and see what he's done and say that. Brady, uh, I know you don't cover this guy anymore, but I, I got to ask you about Russell Wilson. Um, did you ever think he would become an object of ridicule like he has um, this year? I, I'm I'm watching some videos online, and and I guess Justin Tucker, the the kicker for the Baltimore Ravens, like even kickers are making fun of Russell Wilson now. Oh boy! Uh, you know he's he's they're on they're on the uh, they're on the flight home from their win. And he's talking about how Lamar Jackson might be doing some high knees in the in the aisle, and like that, you know, it's just, uh, you know, Mike Mike and I were talking yesterday. Like he's been great for the meme economy. Like nobody has created more memes than than Russell Wilson. Did you did you expect it to go? Or did you have any idea that it would go so badly for Russell Wilson in his first season with Denver? No, well, no, not not this early. And, you know, I remember a lot of the reporting I did for the, the story I wrote before the season, you know, again, a big reason the Seahawks traded him was because they thought he was declining, but they didn't even think that he was declining this fast. And they yeah. thought it was more related to his legs and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I can't say that I saw this coming. And he's, he's not only become an object of ridicule, I, I think in some ways, depending on your sensibilities, he's almost become – um, kind of a sympathetic figure with all of the ridicule that's been on him. And I know that he's got a, a great life and a lot of, you know, he's got a great family. He's got a ton of money. He's playing professional football. But, you know, if you know how much his image means to him, 
then mm. I, I mean, I just can't help but sort of feel bad for him. And, and, you know, um, the, the sort of quote that he had about the, the, the doing the high knees on the plane. Like, I, I don't think he was trying to show anybody up or trying to like really hammer home the point that, Hey, look at me, I'm working while everybody else is sleeping. I, I just think that he has sometimes has a chronic lack of self-awareness mm-hmm. and he just didn't realize how that was going to come off. And, uh, you know, I'll also say this, like, this is not new behavior for him. This is the way that he has been acting his entire career. It's just, you tend to not really pay attention to it when he's playing well and when his team is winning. And, and this is totally a story because he's played like crap and the Broncos look like crap. And uh, so that's why so much attention and, and in turn so much ridicule is on him. Like this is something that he easily could have said four years ago when he was, you know, playing at an MVP level, you just, it doesn't really register. It just lands so much worse right now. Well, that's the thing, right? It's it's the relentless positivity. And I understand that a lot of his mental makeup and with the, when he had his old mind coach and, you know, mental GM or whatever they call it, uh, it was about not letting any negative thought permeate your sort of bubble. But it's very hard to take it seriously when you're that beacon of relentless positivity and your play is awful. Like, there, there has to be, like, he, he, and he doesn't have it in his makeup to acknowledge that things aren't going well or that he's struggling because it's all about how, you know, this is going to be great for me because it's adversity and adversity only makes you stronger. And at a certain point, people are like, okay, but you're not getting any stronger. <laughs> like You might just be bad and the Broncos might just be bad. But you you bring up a great point. I don't think he has any self-awareness whatsoever. I think he's like, this is how I've been successful. Relentless positivity is how I've got to this point. So I have to stick with it. And that's where the lack of self-awareness comes in. Yeah, it, it, it's a good point that you make that a lot of this, I think what you've always heard, a lot of you know the, the positivity, it's, it's sort of his, uh, I think it's part of his makeup, but I think it's also a function of the training that he did when Trevor Moad was the, the guy that you were thinking of. And yes. a big part of their, you know, that was a big part of their training was not allowing his mind to go to those places and, and have that sort of become so fulfilling. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, part of what you're saying too could be a function of you know he, Trevor was meant a lot to him and he has not had him for you know Trevor passed away last September September of 2021 so he's had to go through the roughest stretch of his career without a guy that he leaned on a whole lot and you know I, I know that people talk about maybe one of his issues is that you know, he doesn't have anybody on his team to sort of tell him when he's coming off a certain way I that may be true but I also don't think that it really matters because I know that he is just so headstrong and he he's somebody who has gotten to where he's gotten to without listening to other people and I remember doing a story on him a few years ago um, on his dad and this was something that his brother told me like Russell and his dad was the same way like you're not going to tell Russell to do something and and he's just so he has such a rigorous self-belief and you know that's if he didn't have that, maybe he would have been, maybe he would have played baseball or by now, maybe he would have flamed out. It's like a, a minor leaguer who never really made it. So he's gotten to where he's gotten to by not listening to people. And so I don't know if that is necessarily uh, the problem that he just doesn't have somebody in his corner to tell him when he's coming off a certain way. Brady, great stuff today. As always, thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the game this weekend. Should be a good one. We'll do this again next Friday. Sounds good, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Brady Henderson from ESPN NFL Nation, our Seahawks insider here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
Here's a what we learned as we preview the rest of the show here. Coming up, we're going to do an entire segment of user-generated content. Ask us anything of what we learned from Jay and OK Falls on the subject of the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. So we talked about this flight that Russ was on, right? Mm-hmm. The flight was so long because the Broncos are playing in London this weekend. They're taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Big eight-hour flight across the Atlantic. Uh, J and OK Falls, hashtag WWL, what we learned. Nathaniel Hackett received support from the Broncos GM in the form of an endorsement. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, of course, is the Denver Broncos head coach. Then he says, remind us what stage of the death march includes the public support of the coach. Right. I bet he's fired after this week because they go to um, they go to London. They play the Jaguars. Wasn't it a very strong endorsement, though? Yep, and that's the worst part. Is that the worst one to yeah. get? The, 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 the super strong one? Like, I'm never going to fire this guy. The stronger the endorsement, the closer you are to being fired. <laughs> I don't know what it, if it's a Venn diagram or whatever, but the, the stronger the endorsement, the closer you are to getting fired. Here's how this is going to play out. They're going to fly to London. Well, they already flew to London. They're going to play in London. They're going to play like trash against Jacksonville to the point where I'm not even sure that the win or loss matters. They're going to fly back from London. Hackett's going to be fired either that night or on the Monday. They're going to have an entire bye week to instill a new head coach, and then it's going to be the second half of the Broncos season. That's my prediction. It, it's, it's actually hilarious looking at the NFL betting lines this week and imagining what those lines might have been if you had made these betting lines ahead of the season. For example, mm-hmm. this Broncos-Jags game that you mentioned, Jacksonville is a two-and-a-half-point favorite right. over the Denver Broncos. Buffalo, I know most people thought that Buffalo was going to be a good team, but an 11-point favorite over Green Bay? Yeah, that's crazy. That, that's crazy. That's that's a lot of points, man. Mm-hmm. This is the another week where Aaron there's Rod- so think, many weird games. I think it was la- was it last week? I want to say last week or maybe two weeks ago where Aaron Rodgers was a double digit underdog. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. in the history of Aaron Rodgers in the Packers, his numbers aren't all that bad this year. No, like he's got 11 touchdowns and three interceptions, but I think it's just not the volume. Well, it's the, it, everything in Green Bay right now is exacerbated by the fact that after every game, yeah. Aaron Rodgers comes out and just craps on everybody. Mm-hmm. Right, and fair enough. I think it, this, you know, it's funny. Some people are saying you can't do this. You're throwing your teammates under the bus. Yeah. You're throwing your coach under the bus. I nothing, and I, I'm not the biggest Aaron Rodgers fan, but I do. I, I listen to almost all of his media availability. I think he's a pretty smart football guy. I think he's thoughtful, and I think that he figures that there's no point in trying to BS anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he says is dead on accurate when it yeah. comes to football. And what he said is really what everyone else has said about this Packers team for a long time. You're wasting Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> You're not surrounding him with enough weapons. This first ballot, and you, I like how you said Sidney Crosby would be on the first ballot of first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. I guess Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the very few people that has the arm talent and can throw a football that well in the history of the game. And for him to have... Again, he's had a lot of success, but just the one Super Bowl, you're kind of looking at it and saying, did you leave something on the table as an mm-hmm. organization with him? And I think for him to say what he says, I think it's accurate, and I think it's cool, to be honest. What do you make of this betting line? Okay. line? Uh, 49ers at the Rams, and the 49ers are one-and-a-half-point favorites. The Rams are coming off a bye week. Yeah. The 49ers are coming off 
Not a great performance. I was thinking about making this my lock of the week for the Rams. Well, the yeah, I was thinking of that too. The yeah. 49ers are 3 and 4, the Rams are 3 and 3. What is the story with the Rams this year? Like I've only watched frankly one of their games it was the first game of the season where they just looked awful. They looked out of sorts. I was oh. kind of like, "Yeah, it's probably like a Super Bowl hangover." Uh they're 3 and 3. They are coming off a win and a bye week. Yep. And yet they're still one and a half point uh, underdogs, like we're talking about the defending Super Bowl champs here, and I get that the 49ers have so much talent. They have an unbelievable amount of talent. Perhaps no team has much as talent as the 49ers if you take away the quarterback position. So a few things happened here, right? They made a bunch of big splashy moves last year uh, via trade that put them over the top and made them Super Bowl contenders, right? The two in particular were Von Miller and OBJ. Both are gone. I don't know if OBJ would have made that much of a difference. I think Von Miller definitely would have. There's a Super Bowl hangover to consider with the Rams as well. Their offense just hasn't looked right throughout the year. And part of it is they they haven't found a good second receiver. So everyone kind of focuses on, well, we just stopped Cooper Cup. We stopped this offense. Right. The running back situation has been weird. Mm-hmm. They thought Cam Akers would, it was going to be the guy, and now he's requested a trade. They almost feel like they're just waiting for another point in the season where they make another big splashy trade and they go on like I'm reading an article from ESPN right now and it's like when will the Rams make their trades will they make any trades because that's been their MO they're a win now team has their defense still been pretty solid yeah like Bobby Wagner I know that he was he had some meme uh generation early in the season because they thought he kind of looked washed but Mm -hmm. they've been pretty happy with him He's done Bobby Wagner things. He goes out and makes a billion tackles, and and the reason and the reason why I'm focused on this game obviously is because the Seahawks are mm-hmm. <laughs> first in the NFC West, and one of the Rams or the 49ers is going to lose, unless the you know very unlikely scenario that there's a tie. Uh, under yeah, right. Under any other circumstance, I would have taken the Niners here because the Rams' biggest issue, I didn't get to it in that answer, but the biggest issue they've had, without question by far, is their offensive line stinks. Mm -hmm. It's been banged up by injury. Andrew Whitworth retired, and they've allowed, like, 22 sacks or something like that. Stafford is calling Tom Brady. He's like, we're too old for this. Yeah, man. like Stafford's not a super mobile guy, right? <laughs> and he's and he's older. And, and you saw Brady last night. Every time he had to move out of the pocket, did not look good, right? So you're looking at it and saying, okay, if this here's team- here's Tom Brady moving out of the pocket, still moving out of the pocket. He'll he'll get out of that pocket eventually. Here he goes. Did you watch any of it last night? No, I was it was on the it was kind of tough to watch at times. Yeah, because he was forced into all passing downs. Mm-hmm. And he just was there. Were, and then now when someone gets near him and he's scared of getting hit, he just fires the ball into the ground, right? It's it's not good. But anyway, Lamar but- Jackson had a very up and down game. First half yeah. did not look good. Oh. Second half clutched up. Yeah, he was terrible in the first half. It was a very boring football game in the first half. There's a lot of people that like, Lamar Jackson bet on himself and snake eyes. Yeah, it's, it hasn't gone great. Like, there's no question about it, right? Anyway, final thing on the Rams and Niners as we discuss the NFC West. Under any other circumstance, I would have taken the Niners because they've got that great defense and it would have gone up against a bad offensive line. But the the, the myth of the 49ers defense is just that because everybody's injured. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 8, 9, 10 injuries to key guys on defense. Yeah. And it played out last weekend. Kansas City went into San Francisco and put nearly put up – it was like 44 points if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Patrick Mahomes and that offense are great. But if you've got a this kind of – 
top flight elite caliber defense. You don't give up 44 points to anybody, especially at home. So that's why I really do like the Rams in this one on the weekend. Uh, Coming up, we are going to dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Ask us anything. If you want to be on the radio, this is your chance to do it. What we learn is an ask us anything. It's coming up next. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You can either tell us what you learned or you can ask us literally anything. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford, bruv, Sportsnet 650. Laddie, what did you have to punch into the unlicensed music search bar to get this song? I'll let people think about it for a little bit. Any guesses, bro? Could go in a variety of directions here. Well, I I heard what you said. Oh, you heard what you spoke. I can't guess. Just play along. Steely Dan. You feel the Steely Dan vibe? I can feel it, yeah. Speaking of steel, hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. See what I did there? See what I did there? Uh, located on 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Uh, this show is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. No clever Steely Dan tie-ins there. I suppose you could listen to Steely Dan's greatest hits. In your 2022 RDX, fantastic sound system, 17 speakers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We promised we would service the listeners. Got to be a better way to say that. Let's go to the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. It is the small art alternative. It is jammed up, I repeat, jammed up with what we learn and Ask Us Anything. So here's an Ask Us Anything that'll get right to the Canucks talk. Can you please give your thoughts on yesterday's trade? Okay. We already kind of did this uh, in the first hour of the show. Download the podcast. Uh, The Canucks did make a trade yesterday. They brought in 23-year-old Jack Stadnika from Boston. He is a center who has uh, very good AHL numbers, and he was at one point a quite highly touted prospect in the Bruins system and a guy who just kind of stalled out in his development and couldn't crack the Bruins. And now when you look at the Bruins down the middle, because Bergeron is still there, because they brought back David Krejci, I guess Charlie Coyle is still a center. Uh, they're, they're just running out of spots for him. And the Bruins were in one of those positions where, I don't know, we're probably going to have to put this guy on waivers. And instead of doing that, reached out to the Canucks and got a couple prospects in Mikey DiPietro and Jonathan Myrenberg. Now, DiPietro, I think in Vancouver, people understood that he didn't have much value. And most people in Vancouver, given the fact that the Canucks have Thatcher Demko under contract for a few years, and say for the start of this season, most people are pretty happy to have Thatcher Demko in the organization. Most people are probably like, Good luck to Mikey DiPietro. I find I hope he finds a better organization for him personally. Uh, we all know that his development uh, has been affected by the pandemic. He just hasn't played enough, and frankly, hasn't played well enough. 
the other guy, and I think this really speaks to the lack of defensive prospects in the Canucks system, mm-hmm. in Myrenberg. Right. We are talking about a fifth-round draft pick from 2021. But because he's developed somewhat well since the Canucks have drafted him, and because he's a right-shot defenseman, and because the Canucks really don't have much in the system, and we talked to Chris Faber about him, and he called him the Canucks' best defensive prospect, if you're not including right. Jack Rathbone, right. people were like, what? We're, we're desperately looking for right-shot defensemen? And you just traded what you traded your best one away for Jack Stadnika. Here's the thing about that. And listen, that was my initial reaction. And it kind of still is my reaction. Okay. But Stadnika might be a pretty good bet in terms of these reclamation projects. Mm-hmm. Uh and Jonathan Myrenberg, as much as uh, you know, he is the Canucks best right shot defensive prospect that's not saying much yeah I think I think everybody needs to just I understand the natural reaction to freak out and to get you know again we exist in an industry where you need to have takes right away and you need to declare the winner or loser or trade right away I get all that and I don't get me wrong I enjoy it it makes for more fun debate makes for more fun radio. And, and you have to have those initial assessments yes so you can follow along the narrative of whether those assessments were good or bad for example remember when the Canucks got Tyler Mott you know people were upset that that wasn't a draft pick right that was in the trade for Thomas Vanek and Tyler Mott turned into a you know a, a fan favorite here in Vancouver and that's that's what I'm talking about like yes. initially most people, the consensus was that, oh, we don't like this pick. Who is Tyler Mott? He bounced around. He was Chicago, Columbus. Now he's in Vancouver. Why do we like this guy? So a lot of people have said, I mean, one guy wrote in that this is reminiscent, and he called it the worst trade in Canucks history. I don't know if he was being facetious or not, but the Clendenning for a Gustav Forsling trade, that's not even close to the worst deal in franchise history. <laughs> They've been much worse. It's not even the worst deal of the Jim Benning era. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, let's be real here. Don't, you can't get too bent out of shape when, and again, Patrick Levine came out and one of the comments that I think polarized people a little bit was that he said Myrenberg was five years away. Yeah. And some people were going to take that as, oh my God, they're mortgaging the future for a Band-Aid in the present. To a certain degree, I understand that line of thinking. But at the end of the day, Look, you can't blame a guy if he doesn't have the patience to wait five years for a guy that might be a fifth or sixth defenseman in your organization to get a guy that they like. Yeah. They like Studnika. Mm. And so this is going to be a test now for Patrick Alvin's scouting eye. Which, again, I think is in a small sample size has been pretty good. You're not going to win 100%. Well, I, I don't think we have any idea about Patrick Alvin's well, scouting eye. I, I alluded eye. to a couple of the guys that they brought in. And if you consider Oman his thing, because it was. Sure. Yeah, I yeah. think that might have been a specific Alvin guy because he was in the Swedish league. Mm-hmm. And I think Alvin has a lot of tentacles in Sweden, as it were. But uh, just to put a bow on this whole thing, you're not going to win 100% of the trades. It's almost impossible. Because if you do, then no one else is going to make trades with you because they lose all the time. I think, and Bick was talking about this on the post game show, and I was kind of nodding along. I'm like, that, that makes sense. You just want to be active in this department and in this mode if you're going to do the kind of things that you set out to do. When they say, and Alvin said it the other day, 
We're still working. We're still very committed to finding, for lack of a better term, age group guys. Be aggressive. Make moves. Make deals. Bring some in. Win Give 60, guys opportunities. Win 65 to 70% of a lot of trades and acknowledge some of them you're going to miss on. Yeah. But you and I, if there's one thing here, I'm ready for a churn. I'm ready to see yes. new guys come Me in. Too. I'm ready to see Jets Studnika take a shot at this thing. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, then just keep it going. And, and here's the thing, too. Uh, the Canucks may be short on defensive prospects. Uh, they're also short on center prospects. Yes. And there might be some churn in the center group in this organization as well. We're at a point now where Nils Oman is playing third-line center. Yeah. Nils Oman playing third-line center. JT Miller might not be good as a center. Might be better on the wing. Bo Horvat may not be back with the Canucks next season. I want to turn, ask us anything over. This is from Scott, and he's now got a new hashtag, AAA. Do you know what that means? Uh, no. Ask Andy anything. Well, I like oh, that. Okay. That's adorable. That's great. Okay. Triple A. Triple A. This is also a Halloween-themed one, not surprisingly, because you are the biggest Halloween enthusiast. Yeah, I'm very excited for Monday. we got so much great Halloween music lined up. Oh, like, yeah, like yeah, right. unlicensed Halloween music. It's wonderful. The Halloween playlist is to Andy what the Valentine's playlist is to you. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So ask us anything for Andy, AAA. Being the Halloween guy on the show, now that you're an adult, well, are you in, in spirit? Yeah. No, not in spirit. In spirit, you're a child. Are you <laughs> the guy or the place handing out full-size chocolate bars or candy bars, as he calls them? Well, I mean, we live in an apartment, so we don't get trick-or-treaters, really. But uh, if I were to be that guy that lived in a house that had trick-or-treaters, I would absolutely do that because that always made my my night. Yes. If, I, if I trick-or-treated as a kid and found a house that gave full-size candy bars, it felt like winning the lottery. Mm. You it know, still kind of does. You know what it's like? The equivalent now is, you know, in, in your adult years, you've talked about this before, an open bar at a wedding? Yeah. That the, the the little kid version of that is when you stumble on a house or that neighborhood where they're giving out like mega treats. Yeah, I, I, I still remember. I still have the memory of like full size pop, like a Coke. Yeah. Or something. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I never got that. But yeah. That's yeah. Cool. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> I lived in a great neighborhood. Yeah. I was yeah. Say, <laughs> it was, it was like it was like here's here's a Coke and and I think uh, like a lot of the parents were kind of like jeez. Like really, you're giving my kid a coke? <laughs> he just cracks it. What, was right this like away. gated community or something? Like no, no I'm just joking. I'm joking. Like, it was just. It was just. I mean, I I think there are some some houses that really like being oh, yeah. that house. Yep, like sure. you know, like these guys go all out. And you know, as you grew up and as adult, you're kind of like you you realize you're like eh, it's not that big a deal, right? It's just yeah. like yeah. you go to Costco and get like a yeah. hundred cans of Coke for I don't know, like thirty bucks or whatever. It's yeah. like not that big a deal. Yeah. Um. I that I had a house not in our neighborhood. We had to go to the better neighborhood, but they had they would do the full size candy bars or or cans of pop. Nice. Conversely, the worst one ever, and I'm sure everyone's got these horror stories about. But there was a an older lady that lived in our neighborhood and she was sweet and everything, but she was kind of just not keeping up with the times. Mm -hmm. She would every year have a big bag of like taco chips is I think how she called them. Right. Like an econo size bag. And then would take her hand in the bag and then dump it into your bag. Mm -hmm. Like just a bag. It doesn't seem COVID friendly these days. This was like in the (laughs) eighties and she was like, you can have this with your pop. We had one house that gave out tooth, Toothbrushes. That's all. That always happens. Yeah, right? that house is getting egged. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> There's a banged up screecheroo in your mailbox, sir. Thank you. 
for the toothbrush. Okay. Uh, Jay in the Ridge, ask us anything. If you could take a former Canuck and put them on the current roster to make the biggest impact, who would you pick and why? Right. We have had we've had this one. We've before. had questions sort of like this. Not this exact same question, but we've had questions sort of like this where you basically the debate is do you go best player available or do you do it based on needs? Because what do the Canucks need the most? Let's say Quinn Hughes is healthy, okay? Sure. <laughs> Let's just use our imaginations on that one because I think Hughes is going to be back soon. Maybe not tonight, but probably next week. Um, do you look for a right shot defenseman? Would that make the biggest impact? Because, yeah, everyone might pick Pavel Bure, right? The yes, greatest goal that, scorer. That's the answer. It pro- it probably is yeah. at the end of the day, and you're just like, all right, go outscore your problems Yep. because you got Pavel Bure, one of the greatest goal scorers ever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, here's, here's, <laughs> here's kind of a sad question. Okay. Who's the greatest right shot defenseman in Canucks history? Myronberg. <laughs> Recency bias. Recency bias. Who is the greatest right shot defenseman in Canucks history? And you have an answer. I know you have. I an honestly answer. don't. Yeah, I don't either. Actually, I'd have to think about. I mean, it. I'd have to look back at the depth to, chart. Was Dennis Kearns a right shot defenseman? Are we Are we looking at? It's Kearns, stupid. Is it Bieksa? Yeah. Is it Is it uh, Jeff Brown? Is it Sammy Sallow? Uh, I, it, the list of top might be Sallow. No, I think right it might be. I think Maybe it might Brown. Be, I think it might be Bieksa. Bieksa, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can make an argument for all of them, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just picked Sallow because I think really uh, sad. The power play was an so amazing with him back there. No, I know what you're saying. I, I think it might. I mean, off the top of my head, I'd have to say Bieksa. Feel free to weigh in. By the way, um, I don't know if there's like a clear cut answer though. That's the thing. You could make a debate for any of them. Here's one that is definitely not going to have a clear cut answer from Neil and Windsor. Ask us anything. Hashtag AUA. Ask us anything. In light of Phil Kessel's accomplishment this week, becoming the NHL's all-time Ironman, I'd like to ask you guys whether you think he'll be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame one day or not. Great question, Neil and Windsor. Now, at first blush, I was with Jason. You're like you're a staunch no, correct? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I just don't think he's good enough. If he, he does it, like a long enough. time from now. At first blush, I was said no. Then I kind of started researching it a bit. I did this last night and. I do kind of wonder if that record, the Iron Man record, is going to be his for like an awfully, awfully long time, maybe longer than Doug Jarvis had it. Hear me out here. We are now living in an age of increased concussion and head safety protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the analytics behind load management making it more acceptable for guys to take nights off. What? Are we impressed by an Iron Man streak that was held by Keith Yandel and is now held by Phil Kessel? The Iron Man's the Iron Man, right? I understand what you're saying, but he's going to play a thousand games uninterrupted, mm-hmm. Phil Kessel. Mm-hmm. And if it's never done again and never done before, and he's the only guy in the history of hockey to do it, what's more impressive, never missing a game or playing a game that, like, really physically and ruggedly and occasionally, like, do you hold it against Chris Tanev that he's had a few injuries? Or do you go, wow, the reason he's had a few injuries is because he's never afraid to block a shot. He'll battle anyone, you know? Like, that's, I think that's the, the I question think, I'm I think having in you my head. To, like, I think Keith Yandel and Phil Kessel are the two players that you think about, like, who goes out there and avoids contact the best? One, Phil Kessel has a much more de- decorated resume than 
Keith Yandel. Like he's one. But a those are the two guys that have hold, held the Iron Man streaks. Well, and so is Doug Jarvis, right? He so two Stanley Cups, four hundred goals. He could get to five hundred. The X factor for me, and we've talked about this before, is if you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, sometimes the guys that are in there tell the story of the game. And I do wonder if Kessel tells a very prominent story of the NHL because there's only going to be one of them ever. And it's almost that he'd almost go into like the curiosity wing. Yeah. You know, they got the wing for builders and you got the wing yeah, this for guy. Like, and then there's like the curiosity wing. I like, I like that curiosity yeah. wing. This guy yeah. didn't even drink water. Yeah. He hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he ever lived down there. Do you think he's a fussy eater too? Do you think Phil is the type of guy? Like, yes. is he like Cheech? Yeah. Like him and Cheech would be like, you have to try the grilled cheese sandwich here. There's the best grilled cheese sandwich in town. I, I, if you is the bread, Phil, Phil Kessel would work at the curiosity like the, wing. I don't like the sourdough bread. I feel like Phil Kessel's probably particular in a lot of things. Phil's yeah. always looking for a good hot dog place. We know that. Don't do that. Every, do everyone's that, looking at, at the wax statues, but that Phil Kessel one is actually just Phil. He's just standing there. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> just hangs out there all day. Hi. Was that was that the hackiest laddie has ever been? That was, was that hacky? Is it's a funny thing about Kessel that we we all know it's not true. Oh, I'm just making a joke. Jeez, <laughs> it's just being it's a hacky. <laughs> it's just been hacky. Just being a funny guy. So, um, uh, okay, let, let's move along. Move let's along, go along. along to another. Ask us anything. Um, this was a question that I flagged that I've got to find. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it here because okay. I can't find it in the inbox. And it was in light of our discussion. <laughs> yesterday about Revenge of the Nerds. Got it here. Would you like me to read it? Read it. Uh, Ask us anything. Following up on your Revenge of the Nerds discussion yesterday, what 80s movie has aged the worst? Okay, so are we saying it's aged the worst just because of um, political correctness or something along those lines? it can run the gamut. It could be like, here's a thing that they thought was plausible then that's not now. Have you ever heard of the movie Soul Man? That is definitely one that you that can't. Familiar. Oh man, it's. I uh, explain the premise because this is <laughs> hands down the best answer. Like the fact that this. Movie, no, I've got another one. But I've got the another fact one. that Soul Man ever got greenlit is the craziest Soul thing on Man, the planet. Soul Man had good intentions. I no, think. I don't even think it did. No, I think it did. Uh, Soul Man was about a white guy, a rich white guy. Oh no, I'm, who, reading, I'm reading the description. Who, uh-huh. uh, for lack of a better phrase blacked up pretended to be black in order to oh. qualify for a scholarship yes yes and we all learned some lessons 1986 c thomas howell i think was in that he was but here's another one for you and this was a pretty popular movie back in the day mannequin about a guy who falls in love with a mannequin that he yep. sculpted i do remember this one and uh, that had that great uh, Starship song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Uh-huh. Played at many weddings. Yes. Um, no, that was that movie was actually nominated for an Academy Award because of that song. Right, it was a good song. Yeah. Starship? Yeah. Yeah. Great song. There's a newer movie kind of like that. Y- you know- Ryan Gosling. He falls in love with a life-size doll. He does? Yeah. It's called Lars and the Real Girl. Um, what about what about weird science, where these two nerds create yeah. a girl, mm. yeah. ostensibly, you know, good pull. There's a lot, so there's a lot of candidates. <laughs> you know, my my one, yeah. it's not 80s. My pick would be Blazing Saddles. 
be a tough for, one for other reasons. Be a tough it not be, be made tough. today. Some people yeah. mentioned Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I, I love that movie, but some people mentioned it might be problematic today. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's a great. Ace Ventura really didn't funny. age well at all. Yeah, that's true though. That's what, a good in terms way. of yeah. humor. Ace Ventura. Well, no, humor's still well, there. Just the whole Anakin is. You know, what is oh what right, is yeah, yeah, Finkel, yeah. Finkel is Einhorn. Finkel is Einhorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that has an the ending. Did there, there, there'd be quite a few blog posts. Yeah. About oh that yes, it really oh, hold yes. up these days. Uh, a buddy of mine was over last night to watch the game, and he we were talking about this very subject because he had heard the show and was like, "Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds." A lot of problematic scenes in retrospect. He watched a couple episodes, old episodes of Night Court, and he was like, "Every punchline is like the lowest hanging fruit you can imagine." With a laugh track behind it, and then everyone just moves along to the It was my thing. favorite show, too. <laughs> God, did I love God, Night I love that yeah. show. So there you go. Throw a Night Court onto the pile as well. Aladdin. Uh, Some people say Aladdin. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on it? here. Well, I mean, it's... Is there a live-action Aladdin? No, I'm talking about the animated Disney film. But there was a live-action Aladdin, wasn't there? Yes, the... the yes. Will Smith, Will wasn't Smith, it? Yeah. yes. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Marcus and Gibson's Ask Us Anything. Would you rather buy out OEL... And pay him forever, or have to watch him play for years to come. OEL played a lot of minutes last night, and he looked like he played a lot of minutes. He's struggled this season. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. But he's the best the Canucks got right now. That's this the situation true. that they're in with a blue line that came into the season with massive question marks, then ran into serious injury issues. Uh, Quinn Hughes, of course, won't play tonight. The club is hoping that he'll play again uh, soon and hopefully next week. The Canucks have a few days off after they play the Pittsburgh Penguins, so hopefully they'll get the return to the lineup of Quinn Hughes and maybe Brock Besser as well. But Oliver ekman Larson, last season I think people were generally pleased with ekman Larson, just his play. Like, he was solid. Mm-hmm. But that's the best he's ever been for the Canucks, and that's solid. Yep, He's getting older. He's got – one of the biggest cap hits in the league for a defenseman. And he's got, is it after this one? He's got four years left on his deal. I'd have to look at the mechanics and the machinations behind buying him out. And I think I will do that. Well, I don't think, you know, there's no great option for it right now. And listen, you can have, you can be a good team and have one bad contract on the books, especially if it's a guy that can still play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right and and Oliver Ekman Larson, there's no question that he can be a fourth defenseman, um, or I, I, if he's on your bottom pair, you're you're laughing, right? Like oh, the, it'd be a good, it'd be good, but you're paying him a lot of money for that. And right now, Oliver Ekman Larson, who was traded to the Canucks, and people said this is a guy that's run into mobility issues, and that's why his play deteriorated in Arizona. That's why that was one of the main reasons that Arizona wanted to trade this guy and the Canucks were willing to take him on and it wasn't a good bet. I'm looking at the buyout calculator. It ain't pretty folks. You'd be on the hook until 2031. The cap hit would balloon to 4.7 million one year and then it would kind of average out at 2.1 million. You'd have to pay him nearly $20 million to not play for your hockey team. Let's go back to talking about old 80s movies yeah. that, haven't, that haven't aged well. Someone Speaking said, of haven't aged well. Someone said Howard the Duck didn't age well. I don't I don't barely remember that movie. Yeah, I don't even think I've seen that one. No, but, uh, you know, it's... I get what you're saying about Ekman Larson, folks. I, the, the, uh, the one thing we do have to consider with this is that of all the things that the Rutherford slash Alvin 
era inherited from the Benning era. This is this was maybe the signature move of the Benning regime, JT Miller trade or this one. And it's the most onerous contract that they had to bring on, right? Would you disagree with that? It clearly was. Mm-hmm. Well, Myers' the- contract isn't even as onerous oh, as OEL's. No, Myers is Myers is done soon. And I and I think frankly you could you could trade him this off season because most of the cash will have already been paid out. Right. So here's the for thing. Deal. So here's the thing. And he's a right shot, right? Like people yeah. are like, I don't do anything for a right shot defenseman. He might right be the now. best one in franchise history. So here's the thing. <laughs> we he's on the list. Here's the thing with OEL. Um, if you can, if you put frame it in that way and put it in that context, that this is the most onerous contract they inherited. Maybe they go the Bill Guerin route. Maybe they look at it and say, Yeah, it's going to hurt, but. What's the alternative? That was Garen in Minnesota, right? What's well, the alternative? You have, to, you have to get permission from ownership to do these buyouts, though. Do you Absolutely. remember when they had the opportunity to make uh, Luongo a compliance buyout and they didn't do it? I do. Was that the same year that Brzezgalov got bought out in Philly on a compliance buyout? Yes. Right? Yeah, I think it was. And that worked out great for Philly. And and I, and I suppose in hindsight it worked out okay that the Canucks were able to get Markey. For Luongo, but they still had to retain a bunch of his salary, and now they're stuck with his, um, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. recapture. Recapture. Yeah. Right. You know, in hindsight, yeah, they should have they should have just bought him out uh, with a compliance buyout, but that's asking a lot of an owner. When your management group takes on a player like that, you're asking for a financial commitment, and then to go back. I know. I know it's not the same management group in terms of the OAL situation, mm-hmm. but, you know, Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin going to ownership and going, hey, you know this guy that, uh, that you know, we asked permission to trade for mm-hmm. and, you know, he, or we didn't do it. But it's you're just asking a lot of an ownership to say, like, hey, pay this guy to go away. Not play hockey for your team. To not or play hockey for your team. Join another team and then play against you, which is even worse. Okay, uh, why I love Fridays, the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, equal part texts about Oliver Ekman Larson and Kelly LeBrock, which is just great. This is what Fridays are all about here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So we will go to break. We will come back. Uh, 8 o'clock hour. We're going to do more of these, so fear not, listeners. But at 8, right on the other side of the break, Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us to preview a BC Lions game that I have kind of classified as is meaningless, but very meaningful. It's not going to have an effect on the standings, but Nathan Rourke is back behind center as the starting quarterback of the BC Lions. Moj joins us next to break it down here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.